Take that! This is Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined with my co-host, Ben. G'day, Ben. How are you? I'm good, Theo. How are you doing? No, I'm good. Um, tonight's podcast, or today's podcast, I keep doing that thing where I say the time of day. This episode, we'll be looking at the fallacy or flawed bit of reasoning called perfect solution, um, also known as the Nirvana fallacy for a lot of people. Um it's one that does get thrown out um, here and there. It's not one I've come across a lot, but uh, it certainly does come across. I certainly have come across it a fair bit, especially just in normal media, not necessarily um, in conversations I've had with people, but it, it, certainly one I've come across before. Yeah, it, it tends to occur in uh, comment threads under, underneath articles as well in media <laughs> quite a lot. And a rule of thumb, do not ever read the, the comments. comments. Yep. Especially to YouTube clips, that's uh, just not really not good. Unless it's um, funny. Yeah, well, but the problem is you never know until it's too late. Uh, look, so because I haven't, this is a new episode and one that hasn't been done before. We'll begin with a reading from the book. The perfect solution, other terms and/or related concepts, silver bullet, Nirvana fallacy, burden of solution. Description. The advocate claims that because a proposed solution, idea or system is not perfect, it should be abandoned completely. Examples. 1. Radio shock jock Kyle Jones is angrily discussing the speeding fine he received on the way to work in the morning. These hidden speed traps are complete rubbish. I got caught speeding. I was heading down a hill and a bunch of other people didn't get pulled over. That's completely unfair. Anyway, whatever. Down the road after getting the ticket, I was immediately speeding again. They don't work. People still speed and get away with it. It's just government revenue raising. 2. Recent changes in the sport of tiddlywinks allow a referee to refer to a video referee who can use slow motion video, infrared hotspot cameras and trajectory tracking and prediction laser eye software in any close decisions. This upsets commentator Gumptor Flabanaki. Commentating on a review in which he believed the referee incorrectly referred, he states, Is he kidding himself? Even with the slow motion replay he got it wrong, I could have told him that without the replay. What a joke technology is. If he can't get it right even with the slow-mo, then why have it at all? Comment. In the first example, Jones argues that because the enforcement of speeding laws will not be able to catch every person who speeds, the system is not perfect. We should abandon any enforcement completely. This fails to take into account that it is not intended to be perfect and that enforcement is, presumably, intended to be a deterrent. If such a deterrent leads to less speeding and as such lowers the road toll, then on balance it's probably a good thing. The perfect solution fallacy is closely related to and often made up of fallacies, false dichotomy and burden of solution. Speeding and enforcement of speeding laws is not a black and white issue. We need to consider how we deal with different degrees of speeding and repeat offenders and examine the effect of permanent speed cameras, mobile speed traps, highway patrols, etc. If we agree that speeding is bad, but do not like the current laws and enforcement, then we should probably propose another, other mechanisms or risk being guilty of the burden of solution. Are there other methods that decrease the frequency of motorist speeding other than fines and court appearances? One cannot denigrate the current system fairly without proposing some other solution, or at least acknowledging one's own failings.
It's worth noting that Jones seems to think driving downhill is more of an excuse for speeding, when in fact it is more dangerous given the car's braking distance will increase. Jones then goes on to impugn the motives of the police and government, stating that speeding fines are really about revenue raising rather than lowering the road death and injury toll. He also fails to acknowledge that most other people wouldn't keep speeding after getting a fine because most other people don't earn millions of dollars each year for being self-centred wankers on the radio. In the second example, we, the audience, are able to see that a referee made the wrong decision because we can check using technology. Flabanaki, however, goes on to argue because the technology is not perfect, and even with it, there are borderline decisions that could go either way, referees ought to not use it to help make decisions. By substitution and analogy, we can see the absurdity of this position. Even with the very latest high-resolution medical imaging equipment, doctors still make incorrect diagnoses. What a joke this use of technology is. If doctors can't get it right even with the latest technology, then why have it at all? So that uh, was a reading from the book, and um, yeah, I think there's two pretty straightforward examples there of um, the the fallacy, the, the Nirvana fallacy there. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I was just thinking that um, this kind of thinking is uh, is is actually quite common now that now that I think about it. Just in terms of uh, you think of the health conspiracists who talk about big pharma and the, the failure of conventional medicine, and then using that as an excuse to uh, look at alternative therapies as if because uh, conventional medicine can't help them, that alternative medicine therefore must be able to. Yeah, I well, think I, that's, I suppose that's uh, kind of tangentially related, but that's the reasoning yeah, they I, use. I think, is like, yeah. it's like doctors aren't perfect, therefore we should avoid using them. I think. Um, yeah, and and I think it's that's a it's a it's slotted in there, and, and it might not be black and white example when people use that because they won't explicitly make that statement. You know, no. oh, they don't get it right all the time, therefore I'm never going to see them. But that's sort of kind of an underlying assumption or an underlying kind of argument that's a part of the, the whole plethora of the different reasons that people put forward for that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I was thinking, um, I don't know if you saw that clip that Jimmy Kimmel, do you know Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, 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 the, the one about the, the anti-vaxxers. anti-vaxxers. The I thought one. that was particularly yep. good. <laughs> but, um, he... Yeah, that was, yeah. And I'll put, a, I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes too, actually. Because, yeah, what, what he was saying in that is that uh, because medicine has failed, that people say because medicine has failures, therefore we should avoid using medicine or yeah, avoid exactly, vaccinations yeah, yeah. because some people have adverse reactions to them. Therefore, no one should have uh, vaccinations at all. Yeah, and that's a really black and white way of viewing at it and it's not really taking into account the actual way you practice this stuff, which is by looking at the overall risk versus benefit yeah, and all that kind exactly, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's all about risk. Yeah, and that's certainly the example in the book too is about, you know, looking at the speeding fines, for example. It's it's not a black and white. You know, do they work 100% of the time? No, of course they don't. So it's looking at what's the cumulative overall effect of, of these different policies and, and procedures that are used in, you know, enforcing road rules and, and you know, in the road rules themselves. Like why do we have them? Why... Why is, you know, 110 kilometres per hour the maximum speed limit on most Australian roads, for example? You know, it used to be 100, now it's gone up to 110. Um, I'm sure that kind of thing gets looked at around the, the quality of the cars and all that kind of stuff and the safety mechanisms are in the cars themselves and the quality of the roads and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, about the, balancing and the, the... And the politics as well. Of course, <laughs> yeah, big time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, so I've got a couple of examples to look at and uh, speaking of... Um, uh, of 
of basically the two examples that we've already mentioned. One's an example from sport and and pretty much looking at the um, DRS system, uh, system in cricket, which is a uh, um, you know, the greatest sport of all time as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and also um, looking at the Indian team who don't want, like using that technology review system. Um, and then the other example is an example of around um, uh, vaccination as well. So you, you, you read that one perfectly, Ben. It's almost like you might have looked at the show notes. I know. I was, I was just um, thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, let's have a listen now. The, fir- the first one, um, basically in cricket, uh, commentary. Um, I've heard quite a few commentators, not so much anymore. I think most of them have come round, but certainly, uh, when it was first being talked about being introduced in cricket, there was a, an argument against it, or part of the argument against using technology to review decisions was it would slow the game down. Of course, my feeling was, but that's usually the most interesting bit of the game when a, you know, a, a 50 50 yeah. calls being made. But, some of the commentators had said that thing about, you know, but they still don't get it right all the time. And so I'd always had that in the back of my mind. He's an example. Um, luckily enough, I was able to hunt down an interview with um, arguably one of the greatest cricketers of all time, the Indian great Sachin Tendulkar. Um, and he was the, the word around the, you know, the, the commentary around this was that he was one of the main Indian players who was against using technology and the Indian board of cricket, which is the most powerful um, you know, rich uh, cricket board in the world. And the largest, I believe. Was that, sorry? They have the largest audience. Oh, by yeah. a long shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a, just for perspective for American um, listeners, who I know a lot of the listeners are, the Cricket World Cup's going on at the moment and India and Pakistan played, and, of course, they're arch rivals and everything, you know, constantly warring with each other. And, um, yeah, I think the global television audience for that match was about 1.3 billion. So pretty much a sixth of the world were watching. Yeah, that game, kind of just shits on the staggering. Super Bowl, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't even a big game. Yeah. It was just one of the games in the early stages before. Wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't even the final, like was it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I believe India won. Um, uh, and the um, anyway, the uh, he was one of the main driving forces behind, it. and he is. Uh, probably the second greatest batsman that's ever lived um, after the Australian batsman, Donald Bradman, from the um, 30s and 40s, or 30s and 40s, I think is what yeah. Bradman was. Uh, here's um, a, anyway. Can I just interrupt for a second here? It's like, if there's anyone who is thinking about immigrating to Australia, you need to know that. Oh, yeah, shit, that's on the test. <laughs> it's on the test. Oh, it's on the test. It's like, get back on the fucking boat if you didn't know that. <laughs> um, yeah, it'd be like not knowing who Babe Ruth is if you went to the US, yeah. I imagine. He played basketball, right? Um, just joking. Don't send any emails. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, so basically, I, I think I found an interview with him where he pretty much used as the the um, the perfect solution or the Nirvana fallacy. Now, apologies. Uh, you know, he, he speaks English very well, certainly much better than I speak um, any of the Indian dialects. But uh, it is, you know, he does have a pretty strong accent. So, apologies if you find the accent difficult or if you're um, listening to this podcast at one point five or two times speed. So maybe this is the time to slow it down. Anyway, um, without further ado, let's have a listen to uh, good old Sachin Tendulkar having a chat about DRS system. In, in 1992, yes, I was uh, uh, the third umpire's first victim, uh, which wasn't a great experience. I wouldn't mind a third umpire when I'm fielding. When I'm batting, yes, you can shut all the cameras off and I'm happy batting. The, the jokes apart, I think... Uh, you know, it's it's only going to 
allow you to achieve closer to 100% correct results you know with 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 the naked eye sometimes you feel that you no know, the player has comfortably reached the crease uh, but once you uh, go back to the cameras you you can make out because it's it's literally frame by frame and then every every inch matters as long as you are getting correct results then it's fine but uh, uh, in between i felt that uh, i wouldn't want to single out any particular tour but but the experience that we indian team had was was not that great i felt there was a gray area when you have the top equipments they all should be put together to use and make a solid package which gives you closer to 100% results if if there are options then we need to pick the best option no compromises should be made there no shortcut should be found there it may be tougher but that is what is the need of the hour we need to address that i feel that is the way to go forward Yeah, so there's Sachin Tendulkar, and you can see there he didn't um, explicitly state we should not use it if it's not 100% perfect, but he basically was very close to being he, there when yeah, he was talking he, about. He implied yeah, sorry. it, didn't sorry. he? Yeah, he implied it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and he, he said, you know, I felt it wasn't getting close to 100%. It's getting closer, but the equipment's not good enough. And if we can get all the equipment together and make it perfect, and it's like, well, it's always a continuum, you know, and in 20 years from now, we're going to have even better equipment so it's and that's why I think the analogy, you know, generally I try to not argue by analogy, but I think the analogy with medicine is is um a really apt one in that surely it's about trying to get the best decision as much as possible. And if you've got technology that gets removes human biases and um can actually slow down the action so you can actually see it, um, or you've got technology that can, you know, measure the heat on the side of a cricket bat so you can see if the person actually hit the ball or not so whether they nicked it and, and were caught out and they have the um, uh, and so they on. have the snicker meter as well don't forget about that yeah they, that's right they can see if the to, to again to people who don't under, know about cricket um one of the ways you can get out is being caught by a, a fielder it's like in baseball but if you just nick the ball so you just slightly touch it and there's a the guy who stands behind the wickets and let's see I'm just not going to try and explain it. If you're American, I apologise. This is <laughs> every time I start talking back to cricket to someone who knows nothing about it, you just go, "This game is so confusing." Soccer, you know, there's two teams. There's a goal either end. You kick the ball, and the goal you get a point. Not too hard to explain. But cricket, my God, what a silly game! I love the greatest <laughs> game of all time. Um, anyway, but the the main point is, um, yes, of course, ideally you've got the best technology. But if you've got one bit of technology, one is better than none. So you know, obviously. There could be false certainty around technology, but nevertheless, if it's going to give you more information to help you make a better decision, then then surely we'd use it. And especially when in the TV audience who's watching it, we have that access to the information, and it's really obvious when a bad decision's been made. And if the umpire is able to overrule an obvious um, howler of a decision, then that's a good thing, you know. And um, ironically, India played cricket in Australia um, all this summer, and they were on the wrong end of nearly every decision that that went the wrong way. Australia didn't have too many decisions go against them that were wrong, but India had a bunch go against them, which makes me a little bit cynical and think maybe the umpires were being deliberately harsh on India, India because they didn't like having a review system. I don't know. What do you reckon, Ben? Yeah, uh, I don't know, Theo. I, I think, I think, I think actually, 
we can probably generalize this a little bit more uh, rather than just focusing on cricket. And I think no, no, I love cricket. Oh, Let's sorry. keep going okay. with cricket. <laughs> no, no, sorry, yeah. go on. But I, I think I think um, what it is is people are skeptical about technology, aren't they, in general? Because you hear the same objections to driverless cars and all sorts of things. It's always, oh, but what yeah, if? Actually, but yep. what if? But yep. what if? But what if? And I think there's this unspoken kind of position that they're holding is that humans are better than machines at, at things. And they're kind yeah, of. Yeah, and guess what? We're not. I know, that's the thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like once, they, once they get a driverless car, once everyone, once it's compulsory to have driverless cars, I reckon the road toll will just decline dramatically. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, you know, if you think you're better. Give your computer a game of chess and see yeah. how well you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Gary Kasparov or something, you're probably going to get beat if you beaten. put it on hard. He still got beaten by Deep Blue. Deep Blue still beat him eventually. Oh, yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. and that was in the 80s. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible now. The Grandmasters can't beat the top computers yeah. now. And even, of course, we saw IBM Watson, you know, the um, play Jeopardy and beat everyone. Yeah. Um, so, um, and they're the top people. So, yeah, but, of course, yeah, drive, I mean, cars already basically, the top-of-the-line top model cars um, – basically let you think you're driving uh and you know they've got that adaptive cruise control lane assist they'll you know avoid collision avoidance all that kind of stuff and absolutely the right same with planes i mean all the research now around planes it's pretty much human factors are most of the to- reason why a plane goes wrong well at most um, barely, barely ever the, the mechanical fault or the fault of the plane yeah well i think i think most accidents are generally caused by human error i think that's fairly common <laughs> um, oh yeah absolutely yep yep if you if you ever look at um uh, what do they call it? Uh, what's the name for when you have the forensic investigators go in? The accident investigators? Whenever there's yeah, like yeah, an yeah. industrial accident. Yeah, like the anything. NTSB, the National yeah. Transport uh, yeah. Bureau in, in the US. In, yeah. in any industrial situation where something yeah. bad has happened, it's generally it's generally human error that has caused the problem. Same, same, yeah, I like the... Um, same with... I, I looked into... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, same with uh, security problems. It's like... Yep. Whenever, whenever oh, yeah, anyone yep, database yep. is hacked, it's not because the the sick humans are basically the weakest link in our high tech society. So human behavior. Yeah, when I looked at um the um uh, that a little bit because I was working on a syllabus um in my job on aerospace studies and um it talked about the um yeah risk management in the airline aerospace industry and yeah one of the models is called I can't think it's called the cheese the Swiss cheese model. Um, and basically, it's like you're lining up all these slices of Swiss cheese with the holes in them. Yeah. And an accident occurs when uh, the holes all align, basically. And so you've got to try and, um, you know, make sure that, that at some stage there's going to be, there might be a hole in it once yeah. it's processed, but as long as there's no overlap, you can catch it before the accident happens. But of course, that's, that's why accidents happen because every, every individual thing seems to make sense. But when you put them together, something's lined up yeah. and then this accident can occur. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, but yeah, I think you're right around that's why this, one of the fundamental unstated premises of this fallacy is that around, especially when it's anything to do with technology, it is that fundamental fear and distrust of it. And so it's an easy fallback position. To, and same with genetic, like genetic yeah. engineering, you know, um, prove that it's a hundred percent safe before we can have it. And you can't prove well, uh, or prove I, that it's not unsafe. You, know, you can't prove a negative like that. Yeah, I, I defy anyone to prove anything 100% anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, again, it's all about mitigating risk and, yeah. and looking at what's the probability and the plausibility around some of these, these technologies. And so, again, you know, genetic engineering, certainly to me, and I think we had this conversation in a previous podcast, but 
it did seem plausible that there could be issues back in the 90s. Yeah. But, you know, we're 20 years on now and it's not looking plausible. The research is being done, so it's probably, you know, unless people are deliberately trying to engineer something dangerous, um, it's probably not going to be, you know, any real issues with it. Um, certainly the evidence doesn't support that at this stage of the game. So, yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good insight there. Um, so I'm quite surprised you made it. Well done. Um, <laughs> I've been practising. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> um, Look, so we'll go on to another one that's that's similar, um, similar to to the to the, what we've been talking about, and this one is an example of um, someone talking about the reason why he doesn't. He's a doctor, but he's talking about the reason why he doesn't get the flu shot um, every year. So um, we'll have a listen to that one now. If you think if if you take a flu shot, then you would think that that's going to reduce your chances of getting the flu. Well, it turns out, and we've known this for decades, this is not new information, but flu is something that's caused by many different viruses and even some bacteria, of which influenza viruses are just one bit. So I'm not talking about different strains of influenza here. I'm saying that all the strains of influenza are just one little piece of the flu pie. And so when you look at the numbers that are compiled by the government on this, it looks like about one in six flus are actually influenza. So if you imagine this as the perfect vaccine that works 100% of the time, that means it's going to work against one in six flus. You would think it would work 100% of the time, but it's not. Yeah, so the interesting thing better that um, I found I found a little bit actually confusing um, was he was saying that the flu, uh, the one in six flus is actually influenza, and I've always just assumed that flu was referring to influenza. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's conflating, like, flu symptoms that people get from, like, colds that they then say, I've got the flu, and they've actually they don't have an influenza virus, but I would assume that the, the actual vaccination is targeted for the influenza viruses and yes yeah. there are different types of influenza virus but they target the most probable one so if someone has a flu and influenza is he referring to the fact that the vaccine doesn't target every strand but then that means one in six flu all the flus are the influenza virus it's just the vaccine is only targeted at the ones they thought were most likely or is he actually conflating the symptoms that people have so it's really unclear what he was talking about there well i think i think a lot of people say they have the flu when they really just have a cold yeah and uh yeah. the 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 other thing that I, I i could be wrong i'm not an immunologist by any sense of the word but um i thought that uh the idea of the influenza vaccine was to not stop you from getting the flu but to stop you from getting it badly in the in that's the, yeah in the sense that even even if it's a different uh uh not species but a different variety strain strain yeah, or whatever yeah. it's like it gives you some resistance to it and prevents it from coming as bad as it if you had no vaccine yeah. at all so yeah i think that's right and i think the main thing that i i i get from this first of all is like if it's not 100% don't do it. So he yeah. has actually used again the perfect solutions fallacy again, the Nirvana fallacy. Because even if it did stop only one in six, he's claim, well, that's one in six that are less. Have it. So it's still better already, than none. Yeah, better than nothing. Yeah, surely. And then and then the argument would be, can we target it better? Not don't do it. It'll be make it do a better job. 
Um, yeah, so I, I'll put some links in the show notes because I actually went to the um, the Center for Disease Control page about the um, flu vaccine, and so it it seemed to back up what you're saying there, Ben, as well around that um, it's a part of it does minimise symptoms, and then. I because he was he said it longer in the interview that it didn't even really do that, but I certainly the research I quickly double checked on that it did decrease the symptoms from having it by a significant factor. It wasn't like a couple of hours; it was you know a day or two. Yeah. So I can't remember exactly what the stats were, but I'll put the link in the um, show notes. But yeah, because when I heard that, I'm like, oh, if that's what's actually going on. That's a bit messed up. But as far as I can tell, what he's really done is he's conflated the. The, the thing we say we've got is the flu, yeah. which actually isn't the influenza virus with the flu. But then, well, the vaccine is never claimed to treat the common thing called the flu. It's claimed to treat the influenza virus. Um, and that's the fault of people's misunderstanding of what the flu is, not, not not the fault of the vaccine. So whenever I hear people at work or whatever say, oh, I've got the flu. And so I'm like, well, do you actually have the flu or you've just got a cold? Because if you're walking around and talking to me, you've probably just got a cold. If you're at home with a high temperature and a fever and you feel like death warmed up, then yeah. you've probably got the flu. And you can't. And unless you yeah. actually test it with a doctor, you really don't know anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I think so. It's also a good example, I think, of the fallacy of ambiguity and equivocation too, because it really wasn't clear. I would, you know, would have loved the interviewer to nail him on that because when he said that, I was really taken aback. I went, oh, hang on. That's doesn't make any sense from, from what I understood. Yeah. Um, to be, and I could be wrong, of course, but I, I did try to double check it, it as much as I could. Um, by that, I mean, I spent a couple of minutes looking for it on the internet. Dr. Google. Uh, but that's good enough research. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good, good enough research, obviously. Uh, yeah. So it, it's again, um, it, when you hear that, and if you're a lay person, you hear that and you go, why? Oh, that's really terrible, you know? So it's a part of that. Um, again, reinforcing that thinking about, the world is black and white and stuff should either be 100% effective or not 100% effective. So the same thing happens when people, um, you know, kids who are uh, immunised against or vaccinated against um, chickenpox and then they get it and people go, oh, well, they were vaccinated. It's like, well, it's not 100% effective. Um, but the symptoms were probably worse and also it's about decreasing the likelihood of anyone even coming into exposure with it through herd immunity and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, so, well, as, as um, with any of this stuff, Theo, it's all about risk management, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's there is no perfect vaccine for any disease, really. Yeah, but, it's cost versus yeah, benefit, benefit yeah. analysis, risk management, and all yeah. those kinds of things come into it. And so, um, you know, I'm certainly no expert in any of that stuff, but just understanding the main concept, which is your way up, your way up the likely harm versus the likely overall good. And you look at the statistics and the probabilities of those things, then that's how you make that um, informed decision. And look, it sucks for the person who, say, for example, has a bad reaction to the vaccine. But if we all didn't say vaccinate, then there'd be even more people who are getting, you know, measles or something and dying of it and becoming deaf. So it, it does suck for whichever person happens to have the bad luck, the bad reaction or the bad or get sick. But it is about looking at the population it's as a whole and you just still, don't know beforehand. It's still better yeah. than getting polio. Yeah, and but also <laughs> if if we had the perfect world, we would know beforehand yeah. who's going to get sick from it and be able to deal with that. And we should try and work for that because that's great. If we can, you know, have ind fully individualized medicine, that'd be amazing. But um, shit, it's better than living in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> that's for sure. Let alone the you know the twelve hundreds, um, where it'll basically stick a leech on you <laughs> no matter what happened with you. Uh, give you <laughs> a good bleeding. Let's leech him. Yeah. Yeah, bleeding. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I can think of a few people that actually I wouldn't mind doing that too. <laughs> um, anyway, look, um, yeah, so that's there. There's a couple of pretty straightforward examples of the perfect solution solution fallacy. So, 
my main approach for dealing with that when I hear people make that is just to um, ask some more questions. So normally my approach wouldn't be to say, oh, you've just made the perfect solution, Nirvana fallacy. It would be to say, oh, well. What would you oh, do? Let's just yeah. Think, yeah, let's just examine that. Like, oh, what's the alternative then? Like, do you think it's better to have something than nothing? Um, you know, and that kind of thing and just throw back that kind of Socratic questioning back at them and then hopefully you don't even need to name the fallacy. You can just let them see that, oh, actually, may- hang on a sec, maybe I am being a bit black and white in the way I'm thinking about it. So, yeah, and if that doesn't work, you just tell them they're a prick and walk off. Yeah, actually, I- I've just thought of another great example, Theo. It's an- from politics and uh, it's generally to do with uh, people who say that we we can't afford to spend money on something because then we... We lose money for something else. Oh yeah, yep, yep, yeah. That's a good, good example of a false dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yep. No, uh, is that relevant in example. this, or am I just going off on a wild? What was that sorry? I know. Am I? Is this? Is that a good example, or am I just going off on a? It's more. Um, that's more a false herring. dilemma where you're yeah. saying if we take money away from X, then we can't do Y. So the you know the classic one being um, oh we're sending people to Mars or a mission to the moon, but we can't solve world hunger. It's like, well, yeah, so you're saying if we didn't spend the money in that, we would spend it for yeah. the non-world hunger. So whilst there is a certain amount of money to be spent, it's not a black and white. If you take from X, you give to Y, unless yeah. you can show exactly that link. Um, yeah, it, it gets, again, it comes back to priorities and managing risk and cost-benefit analysis and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Politics, Theo. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, don't get, me, don't get us started. <laughs> Main, the main main fallacy in politics, I believe, will be the straw man. That's the go-to fall- fallacy for uh, a politician. Yeah. Straw man. Oh, there's so many. It's- yeah. But that one to me is the, the – if you're going to pick one fallacy of politics, it is straw man. It's mischaracterize your opponent's argument. And, that is uh, the number one way to argue. Lying with numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's right. Or a just lying full stop. Lying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lying. <laughs> <laughs> That's not so much of a fallacy as just like outright bastards by being an outright. Oh, actually, bastard. they're uh, they're bullshitting, aren't they? Yeah, as in, yeah, as in, yeah. in terms of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, what are they? You know, it's 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 the actually the other one that we talked about. I think in the last podcast or podcast before last, weasel words. You know, yeah, um, equivalency, dividends, and those kinds of terms. So. <laughs> they do pick a lot. They got a lot to pick from politicians. That's for they sure. do. They're very good at it. Only because we make them. Well, and we let them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, on that depressing note, um, <laughs> actually, I'll tell you what. If you want to cheer yourself up about politics, watch House of Cards. That's a really good way it, to make you feel itself. I, I was going to say, watch John Oliver, but yeah, House of Cards is pretty good too. <laughs> anyway, and John, yeah, if you want to laugh about it in uh, in a depressed way, that, and if you want to really revel in the evilness of it, watch House of Cards. If you want to just laugh, laugh. I, I have a watch of um. So you know we're doing off topic, but uh, Alpha House, the Amazon um, series with um, John, uh, what's his name? I'm um, John Goodman in it. It's actually really quite funny. I was pleasantly surprised by that one. So as far as American um, comedy or political satire goes, it was very clever. I thought. Is it yeah. as good as House of Cards? It's uh, the exact opposite end of the spectrum. You've got oh, okay. House of Cards evil. Um, in the middle is the uplifting how politics should be the West Wing. And then on the other side, you've got shows like Veep and um, this one, um, which is like absurd, ironic, um, pretty funny, yeah. Ah, oh, so the Yes Minister oh. sort of stuff? or Yeah, but but American, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I mean that in a good way, a really good kind of um, t- 
typical kind of absurd American comedy. It was quite funny. Yeah, I really like. I actually really liked it. It was a, it's about Republicans living in a share house together. Republican senators, I think they were. Um, <laughs> and it was very. It was quite funny. Yeah, it was quite good. Anyway, there's a recommendation for you. And um, on that note, I think we'd better um, call it a night. Actually, another recommendation. Um, Humbug the Skeptics Field Guide Spotting Fallacies and Thinking. Four dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where can I buy a copy, Theo? You don't have to buy a copy, Ben, because you know. Shut up, Theo. If oh, say, sorry. Say, you were lead, you were asking a leading question. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I, I missed that one. Uh, www.skepticsfieldguide.net. Did I say one W or two? I don't know how many W's yeah. I said then. www.skepticsfieldguide.net. There we go. Um, yep. And if you do that, that'd be great. And if you click on the link, I think I also get an Amazon's affiliate link too. I don't. I, they've never paid me any money, but um, I think it does add one cent or something every time someone clicks on it. So. You know, you can do that as well. Yeah, or show your support. You I should, could, I should you could, launch a Patreon. That's what everyone yeah, else is doing. You could write a uh, a bot to like just click it for you. Yeah, isn't that what um, a certain skeptic did and got sent to prison? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he had a bot, but I think he, Brian Dunning he did something. I don't know the details of it, but <laughs> he got done for it. So <laughs> I'll steer clear of that. Um, well, I'm in another country. Do we have extradition laws to the US? We probably do. So. All right, enough waffling on. Um, All right, we'll see you in another fortnight. See you next time.